Good morning, fellowship favor. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship this morning. Well, I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And I heard about his groaning. Who was blessed with Thank you. 
Well, hey, good morning. This is different, huh? <laughs> hey, we did this a few months ago, uh, this, these bluegrass arrangements of these songs, and so don't freak out, don't, don't take off running. Uh, we like to do this a couple of times a year. Um, and actually, last time we did this, I had so many of you come up to me after the service or send me emails, talk about how refreshing this was. Um, I think specifically, and, and I would echo this, um, I grew up singing a lot of these songs, and so when we get to bring them back and sing a lot of these hymns, and even in this style, uh, it reminds me of God's faithfulness in my own life uh, throughout the years. I can look back on those memories and reflect on the faithfulness I've seen through Yahweh over the past uh, few decades. Uh, and this morning we have our directional leader, Mickey Rapier, he's gonna be teaching. And so I think it's probably gonna be similar for a lot of you guys too. Y'all been sitting under Mickey's leadership for some of you 20 years. And so let's just reflect this morning on the faithfulness of God uh, and we can rejoice in that and how marvelous he is. And so with that, let's continue to sing, all right? Yeah. 
Church, it's good for us to pause week after week and remind ourselves that we're broken people in need of a Savior. And so let's do that in form of corporate confession. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. And church, let us also be reminded this morning that if we've given our lives to Christ, if we believe in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's the only path to salvation for us, then we can rejoice this morning. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as, as you all know, hopefully we, we're going through this book of Ephesians and we're learning week after week about um, the unity that, that God has called us to. And so last week we, we introduced um, a little series that we're doing. where We reached out to different churches in our area and we asked um, some leaders at those churches to send us some prayer requests to show us how we can be praying um, for different churches that are preaching the gospel in our area. And so if you would, let's have a seat. We're going to hear from a couple of different churches now. Hey, Fellowship. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at the Grove Church. And I just want to thank you so much for being willing to do this, to spend some time praying for some other churches in your area. And we are very proud to be a plant from Fellowship from you know almost 20 years ago. And so we are so thankful for you and your initial investment and, and your prayers as well. And we just recently found out from our new landlord that he is interested in us as soon as this lease is over for us to move out. He believes that there are more lucrative opportunities for him. And at the end of this lease, which is in about five years, he wants us to move on. And so we're in the exciting and a little bit scary process of trying to figure out what is next for us and really looking more towards a permanent home. And so our big prayer request right now in this season is where is that piece of land? Uh, we're looking for maybe someone who's willing to be generous with us in some way to allow us to have a piece of land where we can where we can build a permanent space. We're already starting to raise a little bit of money. And so we just need a lot of direction and clarity from God as far as what's next and a lot of help along the way from him on how to get there. And so if you wouldn't mind just kind of praying for us in this transition as far as what God has for us next, and that he will put the people and financial resources together for us to get to where he wants us to go. Again, thank you so much for praying for us. First of all, thank you for um, asking for prayer requests. Now, my temptation as a preacher is to preach, but this isn't about preaching, it's about prayer. So we have three things that we'd love for you to pray for here, here at New Heights. Uh, number one, um, pray for revival. Our staff prays every single week that revival will start with us and we'll go to our people and then go to Fayetteville and beyond. So pray for revival. Second thing is pray for resources. Um, we're excited about doing kingdom things and, and often kingdom things cost money and just pray for more money, more resources to do crazy kingdom things. And lastly, pray for unity. Uh, our passion is John 17 unity. And again, we want it to start um, in our elder team and then our staff and into our people. Uh, so much so that when the world sees how much we love each other, 
they, they're interested in who Jesus is. So please pray for those three things. Choice to see. 
had the privilege of having coffee with an amazing woman. And she graciously wants to share her story with us. So direct your attention to this next video um, about a woman in our congregation who has a personal connection and story with the Operation Christmas Story um, or Operation Christmas Child Boxes. My name is Elizabeth Costner and I'm from Latvia. My childhood was not the easiest one. I had two younger siblings with me and we lived in a super poor environment. My birth parents were very alcoholic and drug addicts, and so living with them was always never safe. One day, a social worker came to my house. She walks in, and then not long after that, she comes back out, and she tells us to get in the car, and she drove us all the way to orphanage. Me and my two younger siblings, we lived in an orphanage for about a year. At the end of the year, the social worker came back and she asked if I would like to be part of a foster care family. The word family got me to say yes right away. I only had a foster mom. From the very beginning we met her, she pointed out that she never wanted older children. She made it clear that any time I disobey or got a line, she could send me back to orphanage. I don't want to go back. There was a day she took me and my siblings to an organization that was doing food stamps. We got our food, but then I was about to leave and my foster mom was like, hey, not yet. And when she guided me towards the long line of people just standing. When it was our turn, the person just looked at me and gave me a shoebox. And the person just smiled and said, here, it's a gift for you. I did not understand why a stranger would give me a gift. <laughs> Foster mom told us we had to wait till we get home. That was the four longest miles in my entire life. I also remember it was a cold winter day. We didn't even notice we were cold. So when we got home, my younger siblings dug in right away with the box. And the first thing I saw was their joy, their happiness for the first time. It warmed my heart so much to just see them happy. Then I looked down at my box and I just looked at it. I opened the box and the first thing was this little purple mouse. It's my first toy I have ever owned that was just mine. Besides the box, I also got a greatest gift booklet. The booklet was full of illustrations. I was amazed and I loved the illustrations and colors. And so I started reading it. It got my curiosity up so high because he was talking about Jesus, Lord, resurrection, prayer. But most of all, I think reading that he is my savior and that he loves me made me rethink everything I knew about what I was going through. It wasn't until a few years later, when I was about 14, when I was going through some hard things. I didn't felt loved from the day I was born till I got to foster care system. Even through there, while she cared for us, there was really no love. 
no emotional attachments. I remember the connection the booklet gave me, which made me remember what I read. And so when I read that, it made me really felt like I cannot believe a stranger will feel love for me, which helped me to really pray for the first time. It felt like a warm, invisible blanket wrapped around me. It felt like Lord was giving me a hug. Officially, He has found me. And so from that day, I never stopped praying. I prayed that we would officially will have a family. Our prayers were answered. We finally got a family. We were adopted in Arkansas. This picture was taken in Latvia because my parents traveled to my country to pick us up officially as their daughters. Their love for us is strong and pure, and I love them so much. I told my mom and my dad, we have to pack a box. So each member of our family ended up packing a box, and we send it off every single year. It may seem simple to others, but it spoke so much to me and meant so much to me. Operation Christmas Child, shoebox hit, changed my life. What a great opportunity. I've had the privilege over the years of meeting several adults who uh, came to know Christ through those Operation Christmas Child boxes. It's such an easy thing for us to do, to get one of those boxes and to fill it up, to leave it out here in our lobby, but uh, have the opportunity to pray over it as well. And I encourage you, as we begin this season, to be a part of that. Hey, I want to begin this morning by saying thank you to the response to disaster relief with Hurricane Ian. Uh, you have given thousands and thousands of dollars since that. We are partnering with uh, actually friends of mine down in Naples, Florida, who've set up uh, disaster relief efforts. And I talked to them this past week, and they are uh, helping people get a place to live. Because if you, you can see the devastation uh, that's all over down there. And many of those people didn't have flood insurance and all that. It's so expensive. And so it was a great opportunity. So uh, we sent them over the last uh, three to four weeks, we've sent them $40,000 to help people on the ground, and that's because of your generosity. So thank you so much for being involved in that. And I also want to say thank you for your uh, generosity to uh, Fellowship Bentonville, Fellowship Fayetteville. It's surreal to me that over the last 10 years, I, I hadn't done this, but I sat down and looked at how much you've given to those two projects over the last 10 years. You know how much you've given? Over and above everything else, $40 million. $40 million over the last 10 years. Yeah, I had the same expression on my face. Uh, but it, you did. You did. And you gave to God through fellowship, and we were able to build this campus and the one in Bentonville. And along with that, for those of you who have been around for a long time, uh, TGI was going on at the same time. That's a long-term project that we did in Rogers uh, back when we had small groups meeting out in the parking lots because they had no room. For the children to meet. We had to build five facilities up there. And uh, so that was going on at the same time. And so if you add that in, it's about $50 million. So I'm just astounded by your generosity. And I wanted to say thank you this morning. 
we want to eliminate the debt that we have. It's a little under $4 million. We want to get it done by December. And uh, it also occurred to me this morning driving down, you know, a very few of the gifts that we've been given have been seven-figure gifts. Uh, it, it has been everyone participating at some level. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice and seeing the possibilities of what God can do. So in all these projects, we responded to the vision, we prayed, we built the buildings, we equipped and released leaders, and now we have one task left, just a little under $3 million to get this knocked out so that we can move on to other things. What is that? Only God knows. Only God knows, but he will show us when it's time and when it's right. I enjoyed the bluegrass this morning, didn't you? Yeah, they did a good job. We, uh, we used to do that around War Eagle time. We would do bluegrass, and people have told me through the years that they would, that would be the Sunday that they would bring guests to fellowship. And uh, they would always tell them, lean over and say, it's not like this all the time. You know, they don't do these old songs all the time. Maybe you brought a guest this morning. You say, hey, it's, it's a little different, you know, other services we do. Hey, but I want to encourage you on the Eliminate the Debt. Uh, if you go to our giving page, at the very top of our giving page on the website, it says Eliminate the Debt. And you can give right there, or you can give a check, you can give stock gifts. We'll know how to take care of it if you just designate it toward that Eliminate the Debt. Well, we are in the book of Ephesians. Are you enjoying the study of Ephesians? Yeah, what a, what a fantastic book. An opportunity for us to learn about what God would have for us. Would you stand as we read the word of God together? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Paul writes, To the church, to believers. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. He's talking about Gentiles who are outside the church. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for the building up, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. O Lord, add your blessings to your word. May it seek deeply into our hearts. May we learn from it, be challenged by it. Be drawn to the life that you would have us live. Thank you, Lord, for this hour together. Speak to us and help us listen. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul is saying, don't see yourself in that old way any longer. Don't act in that old way any longer. He said something similar to the Colossians. He said, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. It's like he was describing of the taking off of an old coat and putting on a new one. This is an old coat. It's, it's an old coat. I doubt many of you have a coat as old as this one. This coat is over 50 years old. When I was a kid, my uncle ran a hotel and a restaurant and a bar in Augusta, Georgia. And the guy who was his bouncer in the bar was also a soldier at Fort Benning. And, and we went down to visit him, and before we left... He brought me this brand new army coat. It was brand new. And he said, here, kid. He said, you can't wear this now, but he said, one day you'll be able to. And I kept it all these years. Still wear it. Still a little bit too big, but I wear it. But you know, I don't wear it very often. Because it's old and and I found something better to wear. It's more presentable. If I can get it on. It's more presentable. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants to take off the old self. Anybody identify with your old self? Two of you? Okay. Good. You're more holy than I imagined you might be. I can't relate to most of you. I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll do my best. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed and the new has come. Baptism, whenever someone is baptized here, it's symbolic of the putting away of the old person and the bringing forth of the new. That's, that's why we often say buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. You know, we've got a problem. A lot of people today think that baptism is an option. I, I think that thought would have been foreign to early Christians. Baptism is not an option. Or you might say, oh, I was baptized when I was a baby. Not, nope, nope. You didn't know what you were doing when you were a baby. Baptism is saying to the world, I am a follower of Christ. I have put off the old self and I have put on the new. It's saying to the world, hold me accountable to the decision that I have made. And for those of you who haven't been baptized yet, I would say, why not? If you have made a decision to follow Christ, then make it public by being baptized. I don't know. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But it's a command of Christ that we baptize. That old self is buried in a water grave. You are brought forth saying, I'm a new creation, and I'm going to act like it. Don't see yourself in that old way any longer. Paul had a special relationship with the Ephesians. If Ephesus was considered one of the most lascivious places in that part of the world, I mean, it was bad. You had the temple of Artemis there. Only the foundation is left now with, with one pillar standing. It's all gone. The temple of Artemis, their, their priests were prostitutes. I mean, it was, a, it was just a bad place. It was a, a sanctuary place. Criminals could go there and hide uh, in the temple of Artemis or, or Diana. They could hide there, and, and, and they had sanctuary except for Cleopatra's sister, and when she rebelled against her sister, she had her dragged out of there, and she killed her. She's buried right there in Ephesus. It was the worst of the worst who lived in Ephesus. Now, the book of Ephesians is divided into two parts for this tough group of people. First of all, we have the doctrine for members of Christ's body, how we're supposed to be, what we believe, orthodoxy. And then the second half of the book, where we are now in 4, 5, and 6, is the duties of members of Christ's body, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to practice, orthopraxy. And so that's the lens we need to look at these words through. And so let's begin in verse 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, we know the great mystery that has been revealed in the first three chapters that Jew and Gentile are one, but those are believers within the church. Those Gentiles outside the church who live there in Ephesus practice all sorts of immoral things. Romans 12, 1, 
Think about this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And look what he says here in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Paul knew that's where it started. He said, don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You see, you have to remember back then, the Jews thought there were two types of people in the world. There were Jews and everybody else. And you called everybody else Gentiles because they weren't Jews. And how did they thought Jews got to heaven? It wasn't by keeping the law. It was being born a Jew. That was it. You just practiced the law in order to be right before God in their eyes. Jesus came along and had a few things to say about that. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He says their minds are dark, they're far from God, They're insensitive, having no sense of shame. They are obsessed with lust, and they are filled with greed. If you go back to Leviticus 18, you'll see this is not a new problem. In this case, it wasn't the Jews. It was the Canaanites who lived in the land that God had promised Moses. And the exodus had happened, and they had come to the promised land. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you've just come from, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and my laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So this was not a new problem for God's people. The Jews in this time, the descendants of Abraham, those who had followed Moses out of Egypt. And now were the Christians who were living among the pagans. He said, you've got to do things my way. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. If you read the rest of Leviticus 18, which I won't do in mixed company today, you'll find out the types of things that they were practicing, both the Canaanites and the people at Ephesus. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true 
righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness. Right living and right thinking. Right living and right thinking. This teaches the importance of equipping new believers in the faith. That's why we have the training center classes so that you have the opportunity to dig deeper in the scriptures and you don't, we don't become a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep. We, we want you to understand the deeper things of the scripture so that, you know, there was a column in the paper a while back. There, there are columns from time to time, religious columns, and I usually get mad every time I read one. But on this particular column, the guy just butchered the scriptures. He took the word yada from the Hebrew and totally misconstrued it. But someone not understanding that, someone not going deeper into the scriptures might go, oh, yeah, oh, okay, I get it now, that's right. But no, 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 no. You learn the scriptures so you can say, no, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. Paul now addresses five different sins that are incompatible with the new self, and each one has three parts, okay? The next group coming up, it has three parts. It has a a, a negative command and a positive command, and then the reason for the positive command. And I'm going to let you figure those out on your own. I'm not going to have time to dig through each one of those. So first of all, he said, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Don't send out a false self. Just be you. People easily sniff out a phony, especially the younger generation. They they get it. They get it. And they can sniff that out in a minute, and it turns them off. And he says, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And remember, He's speaking to the church, believers in this section. Mark Twain said this. He said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting its shoes on. That's right, isn't it? A lie can travel halfway around the world while the the truth is still putting its shoes on. I had a guy call me a couple of years ago. He said, "I, I need you to pray for me. I said, what do you need? He said, I'm a liar. I said, You're a liar? And he said, yeah, I just lie all the time. He said, it's breaking up my marriage. He said, I I lie for no reason, and I I need help. So I prayed for him. There are a lot of people like that who don't realize they're lying because they've told the lie so many times, they've begun believing it themselves. They've become so accustomed to just stretching the truth. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Be truthful. Be honest. In verse 25, uh, 26, excuse me, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Here he's quoting from Psalm 4 4. He's, In your anger, do not sin. Now, I had to think about that for a moment. But it has occurred to me as I read it isn't anger sin? Isn't to be angry sin? Well, no. We see God getting angry, don't we? And God can't sin. Jesus, when he went into the temple and overturned the tables and drove them out with whips, you think he was happy? La, 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 la. Nah. 
He was angry. I think he's talking about a righteous indignation. There are things that anger you that other people do, but we have to be careful not to let it fester and go too far. The Greek word here is used to address the the provocation to anger rather than that internal combustion explosion type of anger that you and I are familiar with where we go off on somebody. The anger Paul's talking about is a righteous indignation for sin occurring in the body, but you got to watch it because it can get out of hand. Friedrich Buechner wrote this. He said, anyone can, can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way, this is not easy. No, that was Aristotle, excuse me, who said that. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to control your anger. And you can lose your witness in a heartbeat. You know, back in 1990, I was building a house. And I was working with a contractor, and he never wrote anything down. Have you ever had that experience? We'd go in, and we'd walk through, we'd talk about something, and, and I, don't, he, I don't guess he owned a pencil. Because he never wrote anything down. And then I'd come back and, and, and it was just the opposite of what we would talk about. But I had to decide in working with him, his soul was more important to me than whatever mistake that was made. Because he didn't know Christ. And so I didn't want to ruin my witness with my anger. Here's what Frederick Buechner said. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you're giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. It's like bathing in acid. Often the only person getting hurt in your anger is you. You're the one who can't sleep at night. You're the one whose blood pressure is out of control. There are times you just need to let go of the rope. Don't let the anger get out of control. Next, Paul tells us that it's wise to address the source quickly of our anger. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't let it fester. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is saying that we have to address the source of the anger quickly before Satan exploits it. You know, if you were going to attack, if you had an army and you were going to attack and they had a huge wall around the fortress, where would you attack? At the weakness in the wall, correct? You would find the lowest part or the part that was soft and and that's where you would attack. And that's what Satan does in your life. He finds the weakness in your wall. 
If it's anger, if it's lust, or if it's greed, or, or whatever it might be, read the screw tape letters if you want to know more about this from C.S. Lewis. That's where he attacks, and he exploits, and he explodes it. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a hole that's difficult to get out of. And anger is one of those places. You got to let go of the rope. Stop the tug of war. Stop the tug of war. It not only affects you, but affects the life of the church when those things happen. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I love the way he puts that. So that they may have something to share with those in need. Steal no longer. What about stealing? I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief. That's not me. Never stolen anything. What about stealing time at work? You say, well, that's, that's different. No, it's not different. You know, when I came here, we, we had a lot of photocopied music and stuff, and I said, we can't do that. We had to just trash all that stuff and burn it because it's making like making your own stamps or your own dollar bills. Uh-uh. You can't do that. I'll let you imagine what it might be in your life, whether it might be just taking the paper clips from work or the pens or things like that. But he said, don't steal. Don't steal. It's not what we should do. Work. Use our own hands that we've got things to share with those in need. I'm so excited about the things that are happening we're able to share with those in need. Those guys down in Florida that we were able to help, they, they were in tears because of what we had been able to do for them and how they were going to put it to use in their community. And that was available because you made it available. Samaritan Community Center, you ought to see it going up. We feed almost 6,000 people a week through Samaritan Community Center. And now they're building that new campus on our campus so that they can be more effective in what they do. Well, he goes on. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. The word for unwholesome here is corrupt, and it has the idea of K, decay. Anything rotten come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful, the opposite of decay, for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That old adage applies. If you can't find anything good to say, say nothing at all. Augustine, I like this quote that he had, you know. Um, he who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. And he had that in his dining room. 
Don't talk about someone in a negative way outside their presence. If you've got something to say to them that's negative, then do it in a helpful way to try to help them. It'd be a good motto for us all, wouldn't it? Or I'm amazed by the number of people who, who feel like cursing is just okay. You want to talk about ruining your witness before an unbeliever? If you just let the cursing spill out of your mouth, and, and the reason it's gotten worse and worse and worse is that's all you hear on, on a lot of the shows that are out there. And so it becomes a part of your vocabulary. But it's the attempt of a, a feeble mind to express itself forcefully. And it ruins your witness. Oh, those people of fellowship over there, man, they curse like sailors. You can go over there and do anything you want. No. We need to be careful and follow this command. Follow this. Have you ever drank sour milk? You know, you get some milk out of the refrigerator, you put it on your cereal, and all of a sudden you take a drink of it, and whoa. Whoa. That's how filthy language should taste in our mouths, just sour, because it's not a good witness for us. I used to have a teacher in high school. She'd often glare at me, and she'd say, it's better to be thought. She had an old southern accent. She'd say, it's better to be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. I have something I write at the top of my pages now. I have several little acrostics that I use, V-I-U-T, there's value in unexpressed thought. So don't think you've got to say something every time a subject is mentioned. But another one is don't. I just write don't at the top of the page before meeting. If you think you just have to say something, don't. Don't. Do more listening than talking. And then look what he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ. God forgave you. I've used that often, that little scripture with people who've made the statement, I just can't forgive them. You may not be able to forget it physically, but you can forgive. You see, forgiving is just saying, I'm not going to live the rest of my life with the consequence of what you did to me. Beautiful illustration of this. A friend of mine's daughter was raped as a young girl. And her tormentor was in prison. Still is. And I watched with tears in my eyes one day as she gave her testimony and talked about forgiving him for what he had done to her when she was just a young teenager. And she said, I realized that if I didn't forgive him, 
that I was going to be in that cell with him for the rest of my life. That's what happens when we don't forgive someone who's wronged us. He says here, we must forgive them because Christ and God forgave us. And Paul says that. Who was the worst sinner? The worst sinner of all? Paul was. How do we know that? He said he was. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He dragged people out of their houses and he tortured them because of their belief in Christ. He said he was the worst of all. He said, we've got to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. You may be thinking in all this, you know, I've got all the characteristics of the old nature and I don't have any of the new. There's no hope for me. Oh, yeah, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Charlotte Elliott was a young lady who was embittered and she was angry. She was an invalid. She used to say with force, if God loved me, he wouldn't have treated me this way. Her family were all Christians, but Charlotte wasn't because of her anger and bitterness. And one night they invited a minister to come have dinner with them. And they were all sitting there, and Charlotte began to rail on God and rail on Christianity and rail on her family, and they were so embarrassed they got up and left the table. And Charlotte was left sitting there with the visiting minister. And he looked at her and he said, You're tired of yourself, aren't you, Charlotte? And she said, Well, what is your cure? This is what he said. He said, my cure is the faith that you're trying to despise. Her heart began to soften as they talked. And she asked the question, well, if I wanted to be a Christian, what would I do? And he said to her, you would give yourself to God just as you are right now. With your fightings, your fears, your hate, love, your pride, your shame. So she did. That night she gave her life to Christ. She would later become a poet. And one day she wrote a poem that was to be sold in an auction to help the poor. Went like this. Just as I am. without even one plea but that your blood was shed for me now you bids me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come just as I am waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee Whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come.
I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many conflicts and many doubts, fighting in fear within and without. Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. And Lord, I pray if there is one in this room this morning who, like Charlotte, that they have not embraced the faith, maybe they've despised the faith, but maybe now they're open to the faith. I pray that they would ask you to come into their lives and just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life right now. I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I ask you to forgive my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I now accept you as my Savior, and I will follow you as my Lord all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, I pray you'll tell somebody. Let us help you begin your new walk with Christ. Let's, let us take you to the baptismal waters so you can tell the world, I am a Christian. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come Let's stand, let's respond and worship Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot of lamb of God I
sing two choruses of a song that I think most of us will know. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. So let's sing it out, church. Let's end our time like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he church before we leave this morning let's be reminded the words of Jesus in the book of John he says this he says before long the world would not see me anymore but you will see me because I live you also will live so church in light of that good news let's go and let's live in light of the gospel if you would like prayer through these doors on your right the prayer room is available Uh, there's communion in there as well. We love you. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week. I saw the light. I saw